My name is Paul Ryan and I'm the founder of PharmaBuddy. I work as both a pharmacist and as a GP and I'm passionate about clinical pharmacology and therapeutics. I enjoy making international guidelines relevant to those of us in primary care. So this is my second podcast on heart failure and I have four learning outcomes. Number one, I'm going to talk about the history when you're talking to the patient uh, and exam obviously. I'm going to mention the New York Heart Association functional classification. I'm then going to focus on investigations. So the first point is a history. With history, symptoms of heart failure can be very varied. So in some patients they can be very subtle and other patients very overt. I suppose the most important thing is to have heart failure on your radar in patients who are presenting with, you know, fatigue, uh, orthopnea, shortness of breath, tiredness. So that leads me on to the other question. So dyspnea or shortness of breath? So to quantify it, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but it's exertional, uh, any exertional shortness of breath, any orthopnea. So how many pillows at night do they need to sleep? Do they need to be propped up at night? If they have four pillows to sleep at night, if I took away two of them, do they then become short of breath? As well as fatigue and tiredness. Patients may often delay presentation as they feel they're getting older. And, we, and, and the studies show that if the earlier diagnosis leads to better outcomes. They obviously will have, you know, so first of all, shortness of breath, fatigue and tiredness. Then next one up, decreased exercise tolerance, then fluid retention, and finally then weight gain. There is an acronym that may be of use to some of you, and it's called the BEAT-HF. So B-E-A-T-H-F. So B for breathlessness, E for exhausted, A for ankle swelling, and T then time, time to get a HF test, a heart failure test. So I suppose just to speak before I talk about all the tests that we we can do in primary care, just to if it might sometimes some people might find it easier to remember the uh, symptoms from left side of heart failure and then from right side of heart failure. So the left side of heart failure, um, obviously it's it's backing up the blood because of the left ventricles are not working properly. It's backing up into the lungs, which leads to breathlessness, which is not specific to heart failure as there are other causes such as COPD, etc. But it is one of the uh, the main symptoms. Then you have orthopnea. So this is when the patient lies down, the fluid uh, redistributes from the extremities back up into the lungs and causes breathlessness. And then PND or paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, which where the patient wakes up gasping for breath. With regard to right-sided heart failure, you've got um, the, the, the symptoms include anorexia, nausea, hepatic pain, because you have congestion of the abdominal viscera as the right side of the heart is not pumping blood through. You also have peripheral edema, you have ascites, and you have raised JVP. So a lot of times on an exam, uh, you may not be able to see the JVP. So if you can't see it, it's either too high or too low. If, it's, uh, if you feel that it's too low, get the person up uh, on the couch, press on their uh, right upper quadrant and wait for it to rise, or else prop the patient up and uh, sitting them up at 90 degrees and see if it, if it comes back down. Next learning outcome to mention is the New York Heart Association functional classification. So there are four classes to be aware of. So class one and class four are probably the easier ones to know. So class one 
I'm going to name it out. No limitation of physical activity. Ordinary physical activity does not cause undue fatigue, palpitation, dyspnea, or shortness of breath. So no, no limitations. So and remember, this is a functional classification. Number f at the fourth class is only able to carry on any physical activity without discomfort. Symptoms of heart failure at rest, if any physical activity is undertaken, discomfort increases. So that's the first and the fourth one. Okay, one is no limitation. Number four, unable to carry out any physical activity without discomfort. So it's number two and number three, just to kind of tease out. So I'll read out number two. So number two is slight limitation of physical activity. The, you're, they're comfortable at rest. An ordinary physical activity results in fatigue, palpitation, dyspnea, and shortness of breath. Okay, so ordinary physical activity. Whereas at number three, they've, it's less than ordinary uh, physical activity causes fatigue, palpitation, or dyspnea. So, and, and they've marked limitation of physical activity. The, both of them are comfortable at rest, unlike class four. So, I'll read that. Class one again. No limitation of physical activity. Ordinary physical activity does not cause undue fatigue, palpitation, dyspnea. Number two, slight limitation in physical activity, comfortable at rest. Ordinary physical activity results in fatigue, palpitation, dyspnea, uh, which is shortness of breath. And number three, marked limitation in physical activity, comfortable at rest, but less than ordinary activity causes fatigue versus ordinary activity at, at number two. And number four, then, unable to carry out any physical activity without discomfort, symptoms of heart failure at rest, and if any physical activity is undertaken, discomfort increases. So, exam. So, checking for fluid overload. So, obviously, I mentioned already about the elevated JVP, large liver, pulmonary basal creps, and auscultation and dullness to percussion if in, in, uh, with pleural effusions, peripheral edema, which is, you know, can be ankyl or sacral, and this is the most prominent clinical feature in chronic heart failure. Now, it just is worth remembering if a patient's in front of you with swollen ankles, they may be hypovolemic. Um, so if they are hypoalbuminemic, the patients can be intravascularly depleted and yet have ankle edema, uh, you know, if they're sitting in a chair all day. So therefore, ankle edema is a poor measure of volume status. So I suppose just to be conscious of that, so not to be given infrusamide for the ankle edema. So S3 is the gallop rhythm, so it's pathognomonic for heart failure. And the exam itself may actually uncover a cause of heart failure, so you might hear a murmur of aortic stenosis or mitral regurg. So what about the next, the last learning outcome is investigations. So the NT pro BNP in anyone with suspected heart failure. So we know that natriuretic peptides are produced by the ventricles secondary to wall stress. Um, and we know that, you know, both in Ireland and the UK, there's issues with accessing this test in primary care. If you look at the ICGP guide, uh, the NT Pro BMP, if it's less than 125 picogram per mil, or the BMP less than 35 uh, picograms, heart failure is unlikely, and consider other causes, okay? So, to be straight up, the NT Pro BMP is most useful when it's negative, okay? So, just like the one I've mentioned. Uh, and if extremely positive, it can be helpful. But most of the time, unfortunately, it's in the it's in the grey zone. So so it's just I suppose to to acknowledge that and move up. So if the NT Pro BMP is greater than one twenty five picograms per mil, uh, you know echocardiogram and specialist review within six weeks, 
that the NT Pro BMP is great in 2000, echocardiogram and specialist review within two weeks uh, rather than six weeks. So that's the that's the NT Pro BMP. The next one, it, wh which we can uh, uh, which we can do in in the GP practice is ECG. On ECG, we look for left ventricular hypertrophy, atrial fibrillation, left bundle branch block, and axis deviation. So heart failure is quite unlikely in the presence of a normal ECG. So I'll say that again. Heart failure is quite unlikely in the presence of a normal ECG. 89% of patients with heart failure will have an abnormal ECG. So if there's normal ECG, uh, echo is likely normal. So ECG is like a poor man's echo. Uh, is, 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 that's the saying. What about blood tests? So renal function tests, thyroid function tests, liver function tests, lipids, HbA1c, and full blood count should be done. If you know, if you're thinking of alternative pulmonary diagnosis being considered, you you know, chest X-ray plus or minus, then they may need spirometry. So that brings me to the end of today's podcast. I hope you found it of use, and I'm looking forward to delivering my next podcast.